Hello, everybody, and welcome to Art Drama Llama, where we look beyond the galleries and dish on the art world's gossip, rivalries, and eccentricities. My name is Manchi. I'm Vartika. And I'm Tianja. And today we're going to look beyond the Great Wave, or as it's also known by its proper title, Under the Wave off of Kanagawa, or I'm going to butcher this, so if you speak Japanese, I'm sorry, but Kanagawa Okinami Ura. Um, and that just means under the wave off of Kanagawa. And as we all know it, the great wave. And it's just, to describe it, it's just a wave <laughs> on a background. And I think there's a few like boats or something, but I'll describe it more in a second. So this piece is from the series called 36 Views of Mount Fuji by Katsu, Katsushika Hokusai, or just Hokusai. Um, the, it was made sometime between 1830 and 1833, or I guess this whole series was made between 1830 and 1833. And it's a polychrome woodblock print, um, or that's how it was printed but it's like ink and color on paper I guess dimension wise it's approximately 10 by 14 so it's not like huge but it's also not super small it's just I guess normal sized it's like large a little bit larger than a normal piece of paper right yeah yeah just a little bit bigger a couple inches on each side the colors are subtle and delicate they're all separated by black lines and each color was applied one at a time so this made the steps complicated with precise alignments that were critical to a successful print. So what that means is like, let's say there's like a cloud that someone is printing using these woodblock prints. They would only draw like one edge of the cloud at a time or like paint it on there on the woodblock and then press it onto the paper, just that one part of the cloud. And then they would go back and paint another part of the cloud and then press it onto the paper. And so that's why um, precise alignments are really critical to the successful print. And can you imagine doing this one line at a, or one color at a time? Like That would take so much work. I think Sienja can. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, I think she's done it, right? Um, I'm kind of a cheater. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, sometimes we'll just paint a specific part well I would do the same thing yeah like (laughs) that color and then I like press it and call it a day I mean professional printmakers are probably um popping a vein right now do you think it makes a huge difference between doing it the way you are versus like doing it one color layer at a time oh yeah because it's all about like the stroke so if I just paint it on, it's gonna look like it's gonna have like, like a, like a lot of paint on it compared to. Oh, if I, I see. It, you know what I mean? Gotcha. Because when you roll it, it just adds like a thin layer to it versus if I like brush it on. Right. Which is like a thicker consistency. Mm-hmm. So and then when you like go and like press it, it'll like make it make the paint kind of like bleed through, and that's when you get those like dark spots. And that means like a lot of paint was put there. And that's yeah. kind of, not necessarily a no-no, but that kind of just tells you like the, the craftsmanship of the artist. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Oh, okay. I guess it never like 
I never really understood why people would print versus paint, but I see what you're saying. It's like you're trying to get rid of the brushstrokes. Um, I would say make make like a a thinner layer of applied paint. Okay. But yeah, I, I didn't see it as like getting rid of brushstroke because I don't know, I guess to me it was always like, well, you're still applying like paint to something. Right, right. But, you know, yeah, printing is all about like that, like not necessarily manufactured, but that like clean look. Yeah. I mean, but, it's yeah. like how painting in the past, like we were really trying to achieve, like a lot of times it was trying to achieve the photorealistic look, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah, woodblock prints, that's how it was done. And then Hokusai also adopted the low horizon line of Western painting. So not sure if everyone listening has taken an art class, but they usually have you like, and I'm probably wrong. So Sahanya, you can correct me, but I'm thinking back to sixth grade art, but you would like draw a line about a third of the way down the paper. And then like the middle of the line is, where you would draw, like if you're drawing a road that leads back, you would draw like a little triangle essentially. That's like the horizon line, or is that wrong? I don't, I don't know. No, you're with it. You're with it. Oh, okay. Um, but also keep in mind, I didn't necessarily go to a traditional art school, so I never really took a perspective class. Oh, guess they don't teach us that. Teach you that at our at our college. Well, well, also, I don't know. It's whack. I feel like if I took a, like, a more, like, more, because the, my degree plan, the way that it was, it was more, like, digital-based. Mm. So it's more, like, production line. So I learned more about, like, software and, like, editing and all that versus, oh, like, okay. like, traditional, like, art making. Mm-hmm. It's more of a fine arts degree. Mm-hmm um so I'm sure that like if I pursued a fine arts major I at some point would have had to take a perspective class but oh. also the argument can be made okay well you know my school like markets itself as being in, in having an animation program right so they mm-hmm. they should teach you perspective but they teach you perspective in the sense of like not necessarily capturing a whole landscape if it's not like required for like essentially like the storyboard or like a specific scene oh okay okay yeah so you and me are on on the same level of knowledge when it comes to perspective (laughs) okay so so don't be out here feeling insecure because i'm the art major uh art is very broad and that was not one of the the things that my broadness had reached Oh, all maybe right. in a few years, maybe in a few years when I sit down and actually learn perspective, I'll be like, mm, yes. It's time, it's time to learn this. <laughs> yes. I'm a master now. Um, yeah, so I was describing like a horizon line that's usually, that's like the first thing they teach you when you learn about horizon lines is like a third of the way down the paper from the top. But Hokusai is using a lower one so he has a low horizon line and um according to my research apparently that's more common in western paintings so hokutai uses traditional flat and powerful graphic forms so mainly curved triangles um i mean it's a wave so you can kind of start to picture a little bit 
And then he also uses a distinctive European color called Prussian blue, um, not lapis lazuli. <laughs> okay, no one laughed. We're, we're beyond this, Tico. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ooh, that sounded as a, a little bit of a bite to it. We're beyond this. <laughs> Um, I don't want to ruin our friendship anymore. Okay, well, oh anyways. God. What do you mean anymore? <laughs> what more transgressions a, have you done? Uh, it's a contentious argument, and I would like to pass the evening peacefully. Oh my god. You make it sound like we've argued about this more than once. <laughs> y'all don't, you, see, guys, these episodes are heavily edited. Y'all, y'all don't know all the stuff I hear. Yeah, it's uh, all the BTS. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. You really went there. I really did. Um, so yeah, it uses a European color called Prussian blue, and it's printed on Japanese mulberry paper. So that was kind of describing the form, how it's made, and yeah, what it kind of looks like. Um, I guess function. This is kind of the format we used to use back in high school. Um, or we had started using toward the end of high school in art history, which was form, function, content, and context. That's kind of what I'm going off of. But yeah, that's the form. And then the function, I was guessing it was probably made for some commercial use um, because copies of this print were quickly produced and sold cheaply. So, but if you as our listeners know more, then you can always tell us. But yeah, and then content. I already kind of described it a little bit, but To go into it more, the foreground has a massive cresting wave that's pictured moments before it crashes onto three fishing boats. It's like a threatening wave, and it seems to personify nature as it seems to want to drown the figures in the boats. And Mount Fuji, which is all the way in the background of the picture, it looks like one of the waves. But the mountain is small by use of perspective, as if it too will be swallowed up by the wave. And from the top of the crashing wave, like the main wave, there's spray that looks like it's snow that's falling on the mountain. And the design heavily of like the whole piece heavily contrasts the water and the sky with large areas of negative space. So you'll see like there's a wave on the left side and then there's waves or like water and the fishing boats more towards the bottom and leading up into the right side of the piece. And there's like a little mountain in the bottom middle-ish half but then there's like a huge chunk of the print that's mostly blank um it looks like it's two different shades of like tannish paper it's probably just one and then it got faded or something but maybe it's two different colors but that's what it looks like and then also there's a common interpretation that it represents an impermanent or floating world So it also explores the traditional Zen notion of tranquility in favor of a more sublime romantic expression of wilderness. And this piece has been used to symbolize everything from economic power to military threats to national disaster. So you would think of it as like, I don't know, invaders coming in and it's crashing down onto society, like the invaders of the wave and society is like the fishing boats. Or like colonizers, I guess. So it's kind of what content is. And then the context. This piece was the first time that landscape was a major theme in Japanese prints. 
and it's the last print of the whole series. So the 36 views of Mount Fuji, it's the very last one. And some of you may already know, but Mount Fuji is sacred to the Japanese people. And then also Hokusai, the artist himself, he was from a peasant family that was a peasant family from the village that was near Edo, which is a city in Japan. And then one last thing about the print, it's a polychrome print. So it made the product uh, more time consuming to create and more expensive, but it was still really popular. So like I said, like a about 10 minutes ago or so, the production of the piece was where they would apply one color at a time and then press it onto the paper. And it has to be absolutely precise and aligned correctly um, to make it look nice. So this whole process and the printing the print itself, um, because it was so time consuming, it resulted in the piece being a lot more expensive than it usually would have been, but it was still very popular. And you'll still see this today. I feel like it's one of the, definitely one of the more well-known pieces of art, especially if you think of like art from East Asia. This is probably one of the pieces that you'll think of. I've also seen it printed on a lot of shirts. I actually almost got a shirt that had this printed on, but I just never ended up getting it. So actually maybe one day. I have oh, a shirt with this. Oh, one. right. Yeah, you also do. have a shirt. Yeah. Yeah, I actually do have one. But I think that's a really interesting point where, like, this image can represent anything from military might to economic collapse to an Asian American club organization at a university. Like, you know, it, can, it just really represents a variety of things. And I think it's just the simplicity in the image, right? Like, there's not a whole lot going on so you can really imbue your own meaning to it right it's just a huge wave crashing into some smaller people but you can really spin this in any way you want yeah and I guess this is where this is a piece where it's I mean I feel like there probably is some type of purpose or maybe he just made it to you know sell quickly um we don't know I haven't seen any research about it or like I haven't seen more information about what the actual function is but as of right now from what I've learned from my research um it seems like a piece where the viewer themselves can interpret it more Mm -hmm. rather than the artist telling us how to interpret it which I mean even in those cases even if the artist tells you like this is what I'm showing this is why I made this the person viewing it can still come up with their own opinion yeah which is part of why we love art so much right because you can really have your own meaning attached to it and you can really like even if that's not really the artist's direct meaning the Mm -hmm. fact that you can draw maybe a new interpretation or see something about your own life being reflected in there is what makes art so great and so important yep I mean, going back to, like, the simplicity of it that it says a lot with so little, I feel like that's a lot of, like, the appeal of printmaking mm. is that you capture something and it, and, you know, you try to say the most that you can with, like, simple imagery or, you sure. know, as simple as you can get it because there's some really intricate prints and they have a lot going on in them. But at the same time, you're trying to capture a lot in, like, a singular space. Yeah. 
you're trying to really pack a punch, right? With, mm-hmm. you know, without maybe overcomplicating or adding too many subjects into the piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes less is more, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I like this piece a lot. It like really does draw your eye. And I, I think part of it is the composition. Part of it are the colors. Um, but, you know, it's definitely something that you look at and you, I think you are forced to stand and look at it longer. Hence why it's so popular and widespread even to today. Sometimes I wonder if it's like, so popular just because it's everywhere yeah you know i mean like 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 how like the reason why it's popularity continues which i think and i'm not like dissing on it or anything because um specifically like japanese uh wood printing is like such a extremely like like you have to have a lot of patience for it right and you have to put in like a lot of yourself into it so i'm glad that it's popular because i feel like it brings attention to this art form that from what i remember and going to like uh an online printing conference uh called print austin uh like a year ago um it's kind of like slowly going away yeah i mean we talked about this in um in the 100 ghost stories from mm-hmm. Japan and, and China, where the artists who were doing those, like he thought woodblock printing is going to die with him, right? He thought he was like the last one to do Japanese woodblock printing because photography came in, right? And you didn't mm-hmm. really have a need for pictures or paintings. Or you, well, once you have pictures, you don't have a need for paintings or prints anymore. Um, so yeah, so I, I agree. It's like I think it's great that we have such an important piece from that time that can encourage people to continue and perpetuate the art, but it is unfortunately a bit dying because you know it's not like it, like it's the function for wood block printing was just to make quick commercializable images, but it's really is being replaced by photos. Mm. It kind of makes me think of um, these two fan artists that I follow. Um, One of them does like, I guess both of them, but they paint things more, I guess, in the classical style where they look, one of them paints portraits. And when I, oh my God, I, every time I think of them, they're so good. And they kind of look like those European portraits that you would see of members of the royal family um, where they're just sitting they're just they just look so regal and then this other artist that I follow um, she also does them um, more in like uh, Roman Roman classic style with there's the what's the style called do you guys remember you're not talking about neoclassicism right Maybe I am, but it's, when you look at her art, she's somewhat, I think she's Chinese, but she's, she lives and studies in Italy. So she draws a lot of influence from 
those types of pieces that you would see when you go to museums in Italy. I don't know if people uh, can imagine them. Is it like the, is, it, is her name Mary Cassatt? No. Oh, no, no, no. Tika's talking about um, fan artists. Yeah. Oh, never mind, never mind. Yeah. JK. But uh, Mary Cassatt was a Western artist who went to Japan mm-hmm. and studied woodblock painting and brought back. Oh, my God. yeah. I remember that. Reincarnated and reversed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like modern. This is modern yeah. art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe we should do an episode on Mary Cassatt. Yeah, I bet she has some interesting like, stories. Put the parallels with her and like this new artist. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be cool. Like, no lie. I mean, yeah, because it's like, it's yeah, it's, hers. yeah, it's the, it's the flip side. Yep. All right. So this episode, we talked about the Great Wave, or also known as Under the Wave off of Kanagawa, which is part of the 36 Views of Mount Fuji series by Hokusai. It's a Japanese woodblock print. Um, and one really special thing about this that we talked about was how meticulous you have to be when printing. So apply each color, or this artist applied it one color at a time, and you have to make sure everything was lined up correctly to make the print look successful. And even though this whole process was so time consuming, these prints are still very popular till today. And um, yeah. Do you guys have anything else you wanna add? You could be the soul of a reincarnated block printing artist. Or not the <laughs> block printing, but just the printing artist. Should That's I send true. this episode? To yeah, so go, go learn about printmaking. And pick up a tool and make a print, and you know what, your artist she's gonna come out. Yeah, Sandra, because Sandra is a big, you're a big printer, print artist. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And like I, I said, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I do a lot of no nos. <laughs> I think it's all about learning the existing style and taking things that suit you and adapting it to your your style, right? Um, I would, yes, but I would also say that, uh, I feel like if, for certain things, if you want to claim yourself to be a specific type of artist, you should, like, follow its rules. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, at le- or you know, if not, I, I don't know, just because, uh, like, of how I am, I don't really, like, claim myself to be, like, a professional. But I'm more like, yeah, I do this. Like, like I, I say, this is this is part of my like skill set. Yeah. But I wouldn't say I'm like exclusively this type of artist. Or right. I also wouldn't say that I. Well, also I just don't feel like I'm at a at a, like a level of skill where I can really say, yeah, I I am indeed this type of artist. Like this is part of one of the many many like disciplines in art where I specialize in yeah yeah this is just like something you dabble in right at this point in time. Uh, well yeah and I I plan to make it like like I said like one of my uh, specialties mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so professional or long-time printmakers don't come for me I'm I'm learning the ways <laughs> you're young padawan <laughs> exactly 
I'm a tadpole. Yeah. Making your way in the great big world. Yes. The big block world. Yeah. But anyway, if you have any stories you would like us to cover, email us at artdramalama at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon, all under Art Drama Llama. And lastly, thank you for joining us, and we hope we can continue looking beyond the galleries with y'all next time. Bye, llamas. And if you make any prints, tag us. (laughs) Bye. Bye, llamas. Thank you.